Hey, everybody. Good morning. It's Brian with Harvest Community Church. I'm so glad that you're worshiping with us today. I want to encourage you to do this before we jump into the Word of God. I want to challenge you to um, you know, say hello on YouTube or Facebook or wherever you're watching. We would love to um, just see how you're doing today. At the same time, we'd love it if you'd fill out a digital communication card. Um, they should be, links should be there on YouTube and Facebook. You can also find that digital communication card on our website, harvestchurcheugene.com. If you'd fill that out, just know we would love to hear from you. Uh, We, more than attendants, really want to know what's new and what's fresh in your life. And so if there's something we can do for you, if there's a question we can answer, if there's some way we can pray for you, please fill out that digital communication card and let us know. Speaking of that card, if you're watching for the first or second time and you've never filled out one of those cards before, we'd like to invite you to do that. We'd love the chance to begin to get to know you. All of that said, we're not going to do anything crazy. We're certainly not going to show up at your house, but um, we'd just like the chance to give you a little bit of information. And we'd like to honor the fact that you've done that, that you filled out the digital communication card. To honor that, we want to give $5 in your name and each of your family members' names to our partners at Monroe Middle School. They have a fund for families in crisis. They're a school right here in our neighborhood and support many families all across the neighborhood. And we love to support their families in crisis fund. And so to honor your filling out that card, we will give, again, $5 in your name and each of your family members' names if you'll just tell us on that digital communication card. Of course, there are some other links online as well not the least of which is our giving link. If you're a guest, please know that we're not asking of you to be givers. That's for those of us that consider Harvest our home and uh, those of us on the walk of the journey with Jesus here at Harvest. But if you're our guest today, just be our guest and know that we would just simply love to hear from you. We do want to say thank you to those of you who give and those of you who make a difference because when you give and when you serve, the gospel goes literally around the world and across the street and we're thankful to have you be a part of it. Can I pray for us uh, right now? Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your goodness. And Jesus, I thank you for your word. And I ask that in this coming moments that you speak deeply to our souls, Jesus, we commit up front that we'll listen, that we'll obey. Jesus, speak to us now, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. So all of that said, we're in a series called Soul Detox. And what we've been doing is taking a look at scripture and thinking about various things that are toxic in our lives, uh, things that make us uh, controlling, uh, things that make us manipulative, uh, behaviors, right, that are self-oriented to the point of doing damage to ourselves damage to our relationships with others. And we're talking about how to experience a detox of the soul. Today, I want to talk to us about how to detox my hurry, how to detox our busyness. You see, hurry, you know, that busyness where you're just rushing from one thing to another, hurry can often become unintentionally toxic in our lives. I really can. Let me show you what I mean. There's a story told of two battle boats. They left Memphis at about the same time, hurling down the Mississippi River to New Orleans. And as they traveled side by side, uh, folks from one vessel began to call out to folks on the other vessel. And pretty soon, uh, challenges were going back and forth. And the snail's pace began to pick up. 
and his words were exchanged, there were uh, those who made it quite obvious that this was not just going to be a a, a journey, it was going to be a race, that the competition between the two boats was on through the deep south. And so as one boat began falling behind, they recognized that they had plenty of coal for the trip, but not enough for the race. And so as the boat dropped back, an enterprising young sailor took some of the ship's cargo and realizing that it would burn, began to use it as extra fuel. And they began to catch up. And as they began to catch up, everyone cheered. And so he burned more of the cargo and more of the cargo. And in the end, the ship that had been behind that burned their cargo, (laughs) they won the race. But they lost the journey because they forgot their mission. And they burned, literally, everything they had been paid to transport along the way. Hurry can be like that in all of our lives. Hurry can become toxic, sometimes unintentionally toxic to those we care about most, to our children, to our friends, to our mates, to our spouses. That part of our role in this world is to make sure that those who are with us get to their destination. And we think a lot about being on time, but certainly whole. Hurry can easily become toxic because of what we sacrifice in the name of time. Many spiritual writers have challenged us about how speed can become out of control, dangerous, and toxic. In times past, psychologists and health professionals began to talk about the modern world. Of course, now we live in a postmodern world. They began to talk about the modern world and a a disease they began to see. Doctors began to label it hurry sickness. Here's one definition, a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness. Is that you? Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know what I mean? Here's another, a malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time and so tends to perform every task faster and gets flustered in counting any kind of delay. Dr. Meyer Friedman, a cardiologist who rose to fame for theorizing that that this was true, once wrote this, and he defined it this way, a continuous struggle and unremitting attempt to accomplish and achieve more and more things and participate in more and more events in less and less time. Dr. Friedman was the one who originally coined the phrase hurry sickness after noticing that most of his at-risk cardiovascular patients displayed a hurried, harrying sense of time emergency. Now what's crazy about that is that he wrote that in the 1950s. 1950s. Of course, the Bible warns us against all of this. We've been looking at some Proverbs, but Proverbs reminds us that hurry can be dangerous and have unintended consequences. In fact, the whole Bible does. Listen to this, Proverbs 19.2. Now, the word you're listening for here is haste. It is a word that we would use today to say hurry. He says, Proverbs 19.2, desire without knowledge is not good. How much more Hasty feet will miss the way. Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste, as hurry leads to poverty. 
Proverbs 29, 20, do you see someone who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for them. Ecclesiastes 5, 2, do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. And there's that great warning in 1 Timothy 5.22 that says, Do not be hasty in laying on of hands, talking about leaders in the church, and do not share of the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. That, That sometimes our haste to do even good things can have tragic or toxic consequences. My favorite story of this that I have certainly preached before over the years is found in Luke 10. I want to read it for you today. Luke 10. Jesus has just taught the parable of the Good Samaritan and how important it is to take time to show love. And there is much there that we're not going to unpack, but you should go back and read it. Following that, Luke 10, 38, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now, Martha had family, a sister named Mary, a brother named Lazarus. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, which was unusual in that day and time because, again, a religious teacher often were surrounded by males but not females listening to their teaching. Again, I'm not advocating that's the way it should be today. I'm describing what was. And what you see is Jesus willing to advocate for Mary to sit in his feet and listen. Verse 40 says, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him, to Jesus, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Pause there for a minute. I feel bad for Martha because more times than not, I am Martha doing what I do in a hurry to do what I do, trying to serve the Lord doing what I do but letting hurry make me demanding, not just distracted. I think to a degree, she has a legitimate point. There are always things to be done. In a home, there are always dishes to be washed. There are always meals to be prepared. But I want us to recognize that Jesus is talking about something deeper. And certainly, the way Jesus addresses this, he is not telling us to kick back and never do good things. But he is addressing the heart that we do those good things with. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, verse 41, you are worried and upset about many things, But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Martha had a very natural request for her sister's help. But at the end of the day, you can see as her attitude developed, that the sharpness of Martha's language suggests That there is a contrast here between Martha and Mary. Martha, as she's telling Jesus what he must say and do to Mary, and Mary who listens to what Jesus wishes to say. The sure tell sign that I'm crossing into the toxic with my family, with my friends, with my coworkers, is when I'm frustrated with everybody else because they won't do what I believe they must do, and I want them to do, and I begin to tell Jesus to tell them what to do. In fact, that leads me to what I really want to get at today. 
That when I'm controlling people to the point of using them to achieve my desires and my wants, this is where hurry has become the enemy of my soul, the enemy of my spiritual growth. And so all of that said, this is the one thing that today is about, that hurry is the enemy of spiritual growth, that busyness is the enemy of my growing relationship with Jesus. And in our not modern world, but postmodern world, hurry is normal. Hurry is, is everywhere around us. And we must fight it. Because hurry is toxic for the soul. Hurry is the enemy, maybe not the biggest enemy, but certainly an and a great, therefore the enemy of our spiritual growth. There's a Finnish proverb that says God did not create hurry. That this new speed of our lives isn't Christian, it's anti-Christ, as one writer wrote. He said, think about it. What has the highest value in Christ's kingdom economy? That's easy. It's love. Jesus made that crystal clear. He said the greatest command in all of the Torah was to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength, followed by this one, to love your neighbor as yourself. But love is painfully time-consuming. All parents know this, as do lovers and most long-term friends, that hurry and love are incompatible. This writer goes on to mention that most of his worst moments as a father, a husband, a pastor, as a human being, were when hurry took control and these things, like being late for an appointment or behind on a to-do list that was unrealistic or trying to cram too much into the day, became a life full of anger and tension and critical nagging, all of which are the antithesis of love. And he reminds us, Right of that great definition of love in the New Testament that says love is patient. Patient. When I read this story about Martha and Mary, I find that Martha has everything that describes how hurry becomes toxic in our lives. Martha has inner turmoil, and you read through it. It says that she is worried and upset, Jesus told her. The word worried means to be torn into pieces as is as is pulled in many directions. The word upset means to be tossed along like a capsized boat, which is being pushed along in the stream instead of being able to, instead of being able to power itself. Jesus is saying, Martha, you have many goals and to you they're non-negotiable. But Mary has chosen in the end what is better. Martha has all this inner turmoil. This is where it begins to become toxic. Martha is irritable. You can see how, how, how irritable she is on the outside because on the inside, she's boiling over because of what her sister is doing. And Martha is trying to intimidate her sister. Even worse, she is trying to intimidate Jesus to control her sister. And this is where the controlling aspect begins to come into play. When we begin to believe in pride, in self-orientation, that others exist to do what we want them to do. This is where hurry becomes dangerous and toxic. So I want to give you four lessons about the speed of life that come from this story 
And I want you to remember, if, if hurry is the enemy of spiritual growth, then certainly listening to the voice of Jesus will do much to slow that enemy of hurry in our lives. So four lessons for a speedy life. Four lessons for when you, as the old country song says, when you rush and rush until life's no fun. Four lessons for you. Number one, the more I squeeze everything else in, the more I squeeze Jesus out. Lesson number one, the more I squeeze everything else in, the more I squeeze Jesus out. I want you to notice that there is nothing that Martha is doing that is bad. Nothing that Martha is doing in terms of her servanthood that is the wrong thing to do. She is not sinning by preparing a meal. Perhaps she is preparing too much of a meal. Perhaps she is doing too many things. That seems to be what Jesus is hinting at when he says that few things are needed or indeed, truthfully, only one. Maybe Jesus is suggesting that she's trying to put out a Thanksgiving feast and all he needs is something simple. Mary squeezed Jesus into her busy life. Martha squeezed many, many, many good things in. But in doing so, she squeezed Jesus out. I wonder if I and we are not guilty of doing the same. Of course, the problem here is not some kind of contrast where we say, look, there's servanthood on this side and there's worship on this side and those who worship are better than those who serve. That is not what's going on here. The problem is a heart that is overwhelmed, that is busy, that is hurried, that is distracted, and that is demanding. There is a phrase that happens in German, that exists in German, that I'm not going to begin to try to pronounce. But when translated, it basically means less but better. Sometimes we have to choose the best things, the better things. Jesus is saying that Mary has chosen what is better. Let me ask you this. Can you tell me a time where Jesus really seemed rushed? When you read the biographies of Jesus and you begin to see the story of Jesus unfold over and over and over, when, can you tell me the time where Jesus seemed rushed? The hurry was not a part of the nature of Jesus. It, as a human being, I'm sure he felt the urgency at times. But as God in the flesh, Jesus knew that hurry and holiness rarely go together. And they rarely happen at the same time. Number two, the second little principle here about when I tend to rush and rush until life's no fun is that I need to identify the source of the noise in my life. You and I, we need to identify the source of the noise that we are hearing in our lives. And quite honestly, sometimes we probably need some noise-canceling headphones so that we can hear the Spirit of Jesus whisper in our souls, you would find that more times than not, God does not speak to you in a loud, screaming, audible voice, but there is in the Spirit a whispering in your soul, and when we're busy, we miss it. I am as guilty of that as all of you, and I know it. 
And among other things, I think that means that we need to begin to identify where does the noise come from in our lives? Where does the clutter come from in our lives? What is it that is being caused by others? And frankly, what noise am I creating in my life? Because if you look at how often we have to have a TV on, how often we need the news cycle on, how often we need social media to be something to scroll through, how often that you and I just need music or something, it's often because we need noise. And I want you to identify why that is in your soul. We often wish we could be more like Mary at peace. But let's be honest. We live in a Martha world. And you and I are often dizzy with busy. So what do we do? And how do we make our way through this? Well, I think we just have to get clear about identifying the source of the noise. Let me just give you some examples. Some noise is cultural. That contemporary America sends out thousands of messages a day. Just open your social media. Maybe maybe don't open your social media, but you know it's there, right? That the news cycle creates, the political cycle creates an amount of noise that is deafening at times. And for that, we sometimes need those noise-canceling headphones. There's emotional noise in our lives, things from our past, things we have done we wish we didn't do, something someone else has done that has been hurtful, even abusive, toxic to our souls. And that noise begins to echo like an echo chamber over and over in our heads. There's the noise of work and all the demands of work and what we are asked to do, often in impossible situations. There's financial noise in our lives where we're overwhelmed by the bill cycle and the demands of life. There's literal physical noise. You ever sit in your house and hear the fridge go off? you know, where the motor stops running and you go, I didn't realize how much noise that was really creating. I think if you and I were to ever really hear silence, we wouldn't be able to handle it because we're so used to noise. There's Techno noise, right? My cell phone, my tablet, my computer, my email, right? My Instagram, my laptop, you name it. There are so many sources of noise. For Martha, I think she didn't have those techno things, but she had this. She had family and she had a meal to prepare and she probably, Jesus stopped in, right? (coughs) We don't know whether this was planned or unplanned. What we do know is that Jesus pops in and she's thinking, I've got to make this incredible meal. This is Jesus. I love him. And so she's going to make a feast and it creates this noise. But underneath all of that, there's what she's watching her sister do. Which is neglect. What would traditionally be her role to help prepare that meal. And she is sitting and listening at the feet of Jesus. Now, maybe Martha and Mary had been fighting before Jesus showed up, or maybe she thought that Mary was doing something wrong. Maybe it was an older sibling thing where she thinks, you know, the younger siblings always get away with so much that the olders never got away with. Maybe it was just plain jealousy. And in my life, with all the noise, I need to ask, what am I running from? What am I trying to avoid? And what am I trying to drown out by staying so busy? 
And I need to address that in my life so that I can listen to Jesus. The point I'm driving to is this, that an over-busy, hurried life of speed is certainly the new normal in the Western world. And again, as one writer said, it's toxic. That psychologists tell us anxiety is often the canary in the coal mine, our soul's way of telling us that something is deeply wrong and we need to fix it and do it fast. That hurry is a threat not only to our emotional health, but our spiritual lives as well. I wonder if you don't need to just spend some time stopping and slowing just to identify what's going on underneath the surface so that you can address it with Jesus, certainly. Number three, lessons for when life is rushing and rushing and no fun. The third lesson is that I need to structure my life for under-commitment. I need to learn to structure my life for under-commitment. None of us were taught to do this. Think about the way we raise kids these days to play every sport, to excel in everything they do, to try to be the best at everything. We really do rush and rush until life's no fun. Verse 39 said she, Martha, had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. That in Mary's mind, there was space to listen to Jesus, that the meal was less important than the meal she was receiving from Jesus. Now, to be fair again, life is full of things that need to be done. In family life, there is a never-ending list of stuff. In the home, you think about laundry, you think about bills to pay, you think about meals to cook, dishes to clean up. There's a never-ending list of do But if you and I wait for it all to be done to stop and listen to God, to Jesus, we will never stop. We will never listen because it's never all done. Does that make sense? Hurry really is the enemy of spiritual growth. And our busyness is often the enemy of our relationship with Jesus. And so I need to adjust the rhythms in my life. I need to adjust the structures in my life. I need schedules and systems and expectations and routines that get adjusted for under commitment, for less commitment. This means that I need to hit the pause button frequently in my life. And the less I feel I can, that I'm available to hit the pause button, the more I need to hit it. One of the greatest ironies of life that I need to learn to practice the ancient art of slowing versus the modern practice of hurrying. This means I need rhythms of slowing in my life. It means I need reminders that I need to slow in my life. Like literal sticky notes on the mirror kind of thing. And it means that I need to affirm the rightness of slowing because our problem is that we overcommit that we don't exercise the power of saying no that we don't keep it to the few things or the one thing that is necessary there's something more important than getting everything done and again if you think I'll stop when it's all done you'll never stop It's why structures like Sundays and worship are so important it's why God put the Sabbath in the 10 commandments 
because we need to be reminded every single week and truthfully every single day that the world does not revolve around us, that you and I are not God. Let's be honest, you and I are a lot like our cell phones that we need to recharge and that our capacity to recharge when neglected wears down over time. And what happens is we, the resulting thing that happens is we have souls that take longer and longer and longer to recharge and faster and faster spend up the energy. The reality is the more soul exhausted we become, the longer it will take to rebuild the capacity to recharge. You know, there's really a connection between our ability to rest and refresh and our ability to relate well with God. Warren Wiersbe once said, the ability to calm your soul and wit before God is one of the most difficult things in the Christian life. Our old nature is restless and the world around us is frantically in a hurry, but a restless heart usually leads to a reckless life. What a powerful warning. I have often been encouraged by the book Margin by Dr. Richard Swinson. If we think about margin in financial terms, margin is knowing that I need to live on less than I make. It's having leftovers, if you will. Right In food, it's making more than we will eat, and we call it leftovers. In money, we call it reserve. We call it savings. At work, we might call it a sabbatical. In our time, we call it downtime. In football, they take a timeout, and there is halftime. In music, we have rest notes. All around us in life are reminders that you and I are meant to pause, to break, to stop, to cease, to rest. Swinson says that margin is having breath left at the top of the staircase, money left at the end of the month, and sanity left at the end of adolescence. It's a babysitter for the afternoon, a friend to share the load. It's having time to read your book on stress twice instead of starting but not finishing it. It's energy instead of fatigue, black ink instead of red ink in your bank account, calm instead of hurry, security instead of anxiety, remedy instead of reality, and cure instead of disease. But he reminds us that margin does not happen automatically or even accidentally, that we must make time. It's why the Bible reminds us in the 46th Psalm to be still and know that he is God, to know that he will be exalted among the nations and exalted on the earth, that margin is space and buffer and bumper. It's extra, it's cushion, Think about a piece of notebook paper, how it has margins around the sides and how you usually don't typically write in the margins. My Bible has margins around the outside where I could take notes if I wanted. It's the space where there's extra room on the highway. It's, it's that extra space on the side of the highway. Swinson again says margin is the space that used to exist between ourselves and our limits. And frankly, it no longer exists anymore. Margin, he says, is the amount allowed between that which is needed. It is something held in reserve for contingencies and unanticipated situations. It's the gap between rest and exhaustion the space between breathing freely and suffocating. It is the leeway we once had between ourselves and our limits.
He writes, actually, margin does not seem a spiritual necessity, but availability is that God expects us to be available for the needs of others, that without margin, each of us would have great difficulty guaranteeing availability, that it, instead, when God calls in our hearts, God often gets a busy signal that busy, that hurry is the enemy of spiritual growth. I have one more thought for us, and then I want to wind this down. Four lessons for those who rush and rush until life's no fun. This fourth lesson is this, and I'm going to be straight here. I'm just going to tell you this up front. I'm going to get through this fourth lesson, but I've actually got four more and a whole nother point I want to make and on the one thing. So we're going to get to more of this detoxing your hurry next week. But for today... As we go back through the story, I just want to remind you one more time that hearing, this is number four, hearing God's voice sometimes requires me to start doing something. And hearing God's voice sometimes requires me to stop doing anything. Hearing God's voice sometimes requires me to do something, to serve. And hearing God's voice sometimes requires me to stop doing anything. I would just remind you again that this story is precluded by the story, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And you remember enough of the story to remember that those who didn't stop to help pass by on the other side. I would remind us that we often pass by the needs around us on the other side because we're in a hurry. And listening to God's voice sometimes means means to stop and serve a need. But also, sometimes hearing God's voice requires me to stop doing anything. This is what Jesus is getting at. When Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said, and Martha was distracted and demanding, Jesus said, few things are needed, indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better. I really wish sometimes that Jesus would have defined a little better what that only one thing is. I think it is the listening to his voice. And I will delve deeper into that next week. But I simply want you to see that listening to his voice sometimes requires me to do. And listening to his voice sometimes requires me to stop doing. Does that make sense? That some spiritual disciplines are all about what we do and other spiritual disciplines are all about what we stop doing. That you can essentially divide what are classic spiritual disciplines into practices of doing, of engagement, things like study and worship and fellowship, servanthood, and practices where we stop doing where we refrain from doing something, practices like silence or solitude, fasting or simplicity. John Ortberg once said, it may be the greatest challenge for the Western church in our day is not what we will begin to do. The greatest challenge for us may be what we cease to do. Certainly God calls me to be a person who spends time in his word. That's key to listening to his voice, to worship and gathering together with other believers, to prayer and spending time seeking the Lord, not only alone, but together. That friendship has a spiritual practice to it where we live in community. This is why we emphasize groups the way we do and teams the way we do at Harvest. That we have to sometimes serve God. In fact, we're all wired to serve God. We're given spiritual gifts to serve God. 
And frankly, we are called to serve God. And yet there are times where we need to practice self-denial, if you will, to the point of ceasing anything. Disciplines like solitude or silence, sometimes fasting or Sabbath. That submission can be powerful when we simply stop to pay attention. Now, it's particularly this concept that I want to expand on about hearing the voice of God that I want to expand on next week. But in the meantime, I want to end you with this. Again, I read this from another author. He wrote, The poet Mary Oliver, while not a Christian, but a lifelong spiritual seeker, once wrote, Attention is the beginning of devotion. That worship and joy start with the capacity to turn our mind's attention toward the God who is always with us in the now. That as apprentices of Jesus, this is our main task and the locus of the devil's stratagem against us. Don't mishear this. Many have noted that the modern world is a virtual conspiracy against the interior life. That it's, it's hard not to see a darker force behind all this than simple capitalism. That when we uncritically hurry our way through our digital terrain, we make the devil's job relatively easy. That regardless of our income levels, attention is our scarcest resource. That Jesus wisely said our hearts will follow behind our treasures. Usually we interpret treasure to mean our two most basic resources, time and money. But, we, but an even more precious resource is our attention. That without it, our spiritual lives are stillborn in the womb. Because attention leads to awareness. And all the contemplatives agree. The mystics point out that what's missing is awareness. That meaning in the chronic problem of the human being's felt experience of distance from God. That, that in dealing with our sense of the distance of God. That God isn't usually the culprit. That God is omnipresent. And that there is no place God is not. That there is no time that he is not present either. That our awareness of God is the problem. That our attention is the problem. And it's acute. So many people live without a sense of God's presence through the day. And we talk about his absence as if it's this great question of theodicy. But could it be that with a few set exceptions, we're the ones who are absent? Not God. That we sit around sucked into our phones, our TV, our to-do list, oblivious to the God who is around us, the God who is with us, the God who is in us, who is even more desirous for a relationship. At the end of the day, I don't like to admit it to myself. But in my life, hurry really is the enemy of spiritual growth. And like you, I need Jesus to slow me so that I will listen to his voice. Will you this week? I always end with two prayers. The first is a prayer of salvation. The second, a prayer of discipleship, a prayer of application. If you need Jesus today and you need to realize he's taken care of your greatest spiritual needs, he died for you on the cross, he's forgiven your sins, or at least he wants to, that he is ready, willing to be in your life and live in a relationship with you. If you need Jesus today, would you pray just like this? Dear Jesus, I ask you to forgive my sins and I confess that I need you. 
I confess that I am, among other things, way too hurried. And that I often leave you out. Even worse, I fall short in a million ways. And I confess that I am a sinner. I thank you that you died to forgive my sins. I put my faith in you. I turn to you. And I ask you to be in relationship with me. To be my God. Jesus, speak into my life every day. I pray in Jesus' name. It's powerful if you prayed just like that. And if you did, I'd love to know it and I'd love to celebrate it with you that you have come into a relationship with Jesus. So will you let me know? Will you tell me on the digital communication card? You can email me. I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N at harvestchurcheugene.com. But would you let me know that you have decided to follow Jesus? Always end with two prayers. The second is for those of us that have been followers of Jesus for some time perhaps a long time, and yet we still wrestle with hurry. And so will you, as a believer in Jesus, pray this prayer with me and mean it? Dear Jesus, I confess that hurry and busyness in my life are an enemy of my relationship with you. And I confess that I let a thousand things get in the way of doing the one thing that is most important in my life, listening to you. Forgive me for squeezing everything else in, squeezing you out. Help me to identify the deeper source of the noise in my life. Show me how to structure my life for undercommitment and help me to prioritize hearing your voice every single day. Jesus, I don't want to squeeze you out. I want to intentionally walk, listening, relating to you because you love me. Help me to live like that really matters. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I hope you prayed that prayer with me. I prayed that. I mean it sincerely. We're going to continue this next week. Talk about the second part of detoxing the hurry in our lives. All of that said, I hope you remember this, friends. You matter to us. And whether you're worshiping with us online or you're worshiping with us in person, you are loved.